0: Oh. it's Parker and Morgan here and we want to invite you guys to our upcoming Advent service. It's going to be November 30th at the Ice House Amphitheater in Lexington at 7 p.m. and we want to see all of our radio family there. Yes we'd love for you guys to join us as we take some time to pause, reflect, and long for our coming King. So we'll see you guys there. See you there. Radius. This is an all radius Sunday. We do this about 10 times a year. This will be the ninth time in 2022. We pull all six of our campuses together like this. By the way, there's a seventh on the way. And then three times a year, we meet together like what you just heard about at Advent. We'll meet down at the amphitheater in Lexington. We all get together. It's a blast. In May, we get together for Pray May, and we spend time obviously praying. And then In August, you ought to be prepared for this. We invite all the partners to a birthday party. Next August, it'll be our our 20th birthday party. We really like what we're doing. We're kind of like a family around the table. Right now, we've got six with a seventh about to join the table. All different personalities, autonomous in some ways and together in other ways. On the All Radius Sunday, we really celebrate our togetherness. We do this uh, to hold us together, we do this to give your campus pastor a break from, uh, from preaching and carrying this role on a Sunday morning. We also do it uh, because it, we think like it'd be good to hear from an old guy on occasion, and I happen to represent the old guys. On these Sundays, we tr- try to remind ourselves of our mission and our vision. If you haven't heard our mission statement, I'll tell it to you now. At Radius Church, we exist to glorify God. And we're disciplined to stop right there. That is enough of a mission statement. The end game for us is to bring him glory. Now, you can't add to God's glory, right? He's all glorious. But over the course of our lifetimes, over the course of the lifetime of Radius Church, we hope to expose his glory so that our neighbors, so that the Midlands, so the state of South Carolina would recognize his glory. Sometimes we say we want Jesus to be famous. He's all glorious. We just want people to know about it. So Radius Church exists to glorify God. And then we state how? By making disciples, planting churches, and living generously. And we've been doing that now for 19 years. Hey, our vision, we call it Together 21. For some of y'all, you've been here a while, you don't even know what that is. We we on our 18th birthday, we handed out some little booklets. On the cover, it says Together 21, and we just kind of laid out some goals for three years. We hold our goals with open hands because we really want God to direct us. So we, we set some goals for three years, and, and I'll share them with you now. We, we used a little phrase to describe it it was you times two. Our hope over three years, from our 18th birthday to our 21st birthday, is that we would multiply. So you times two, the expectation is your seat at your campus right now would uh, stay filled with you. And then over, a th- over the course of three years, somebody else would be sitting in the seat next to you. That doesn't mean you're changing out family members, right? But there's an empty seat somewhere. and We're hoping that you would multiply yourself into somebody else in your community and there'd be another person in that seat. It's our discipleship kind of way of laying out this idea that we're responsible for our radius. We got groups at radius. It's, It's a thing that we do to hold us together in community. We've gotten a lot larger. We can know each other better in smaller groups. So we're hoping that our groups multiply times two. So we say G times two. Every group, we hope one way or another, will turn into two. Perhaps in your group, you know that one of the folks in there is an apprentice, and that's exactly why they're an apprentice, so that we could multiply into two. We want to multiply our churches. So we've got six churches right now, a seventh on the way, and we're hoping to see 12 churches by our 21st birthday. So we've got about 20 months to get all this done, and we're trusting the Lord as we go forward. And we're hoping that we also will multiply the dollars. And you're like, this is exactly what I thought churches do. Well, this is how we do it. Over the first 18 years of our existence, we gave away, meaning outside of radius, $5.5 million dollars. Um, We hope to double that in the next three years. So we're hoping to give away 5.5 million in the next three years. So let me me give you a little update of where we are and then try to bring clarity on what we're really trying to accomplish. You times two. So it's not really about butts and seats. That's one of the things that you can measure. It's really about discipleship. And that's that's what we're dreaming about. But when we did this at our 18th birthday, we had about 1,800 people at radius among all the campuses. At this point, 14 months later, there's about 2,400 people at Radius among all the campuses. G times two, when we did this eight, at our 18th birthday, there were 75 groups. 14 months later, there's 105 groups. Churches times two, there were six of us. There's the seventh one being right now. We call it Radius Carolina. It's going to meet downtown on the south side campus, it's going to reach a totally different demographic, and we have an eighth campus in sight. So we're working down that road. Dollars times two, uh, we're working toward $2 million uh, as of 14 months. We're getting close to $2 million, shooting for 5.5 over the course of that three-year vision. Hey, the emphasis for us, to bring clarity, is, is, is not... To build this big church or to have this great groups ministry. We, if those things happen, they happen. The emphasis for us is that little time symbol in the middle. We believe that it's just normal for Christians, for people that really know Jesus, to multiply that what he placed in us ought to reproduce into someone else. So even if they don't come to Radius and you're discipling somebody, and they go to another church in town or your town, hey, hey we celebrate. That's what the, our dream is that each of us would multiply. The expectation of Christ for the disciples when Christ ascended into heaven, he, he said he was going to send his Holy Spirit, and the expectation was that that Holy Spirit would multiply what Christ did for us into our neighbors. He actually calls us ambassadors. He calls us priests. He says that we will represent him inside of our radius. And we expect over time that that work that was done in us would double. Let's pray right now because uh, what we really want to happen on Sunday morning is that the Holy Spirit moves on us, moves in our rooms, moves in us individually. So let's ask him to. Holy Spirit, uh, you know us. You know what our week's been like. You know whether or not we walk into this room placing our hope in you or not. pray that you meet us this morning. Remind us who you are. Remind us who God the Father is. Help us remember what Jesus did on our behalf. Move us to worship. You know some of us, Lord. We're hard to move and yet you're capable So Holy Spirit, move us to worship. We do pray that you would use us, the ones in these rooms that have been saved and you indwell. that you would overflow out of us and spill out onto our radius and that you would use us to multiply. We trust you. And we even, with our best effort, Lord, we lay our lives before you and ask you to work on us for these, these few minutes that we share together on Sunday mornings. Pray in Jesus' name, Amen. All right, so we've been in the Book of Galatians, and we've titled our our whole series "Freedom." The very first Sunday, we talked about Galatians. I read this verse out of chapter five, which is where we are. It's my favorite verse in all of Galatians. It summarizes chapter five for sure. And it gives a pretty good summary of the book of Galatians. My son, my youngest son's in college, and he's trying to figure out how you read all this stuff his freshman year. And, and my advice to him is, hey, read the first sentence of every paragraph, and you'll get it. Like, just it'll, it'll move you through the book fast. It's how I got through college, so I'm kind of coaching him up. This first sentence is powerful. It, it sums up a whole lot of things. It, there's all kind of good stuff in the text, but this first verse, I just want us to spend a few minutes on it and let it speak to us. So Christ, chapter 5, verse 1, has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Paul makes a really clear statement right here at the beginning of chapter 5. Like he he is exhorting the people to remember Christ and the fact that Christ has set them free. Every, every uh, Tuesday morning, we do what we call sermon prep. So all the campus pastors come together. We sit around the table. Russell Johnson is our teaching pastor, so he kind of leads us through a discussion. And we didn't barely get halfway through that verse and the word freedom came up and John Ross from Radius Carolina, he does this freedom. I, I can't remember exactly what he does, but like he's representing uh, William Wallace and Braveheart. And then immediately, Radius Saluda folks, Trey, Trey goes into this monologue. He actually has the whole speech of William Wallace memorized and he, he's, he's with some enthusiasm. As you might imagine, he's giving us the speech from Braveheart about freedom, because freedom is something that we all want. It's deep inside of our souls. And of course, at the end of the sermon prep table, those of y'all out at Centerville, Ryan Maloney's sitting and his eyes are rolling as, and, and passing glances to other guys around the circle, like what are, what are they doing down there? And we, we have a great time at that, that little thing, but hey, we all come away from that table wanting you To experience the freedom of Christ, Paul wants it for the Galatians. He says, So Christ has truly set us free. One of the things that has to happen for an individual, and it had to happen for the Galatians. Galatians, a region, a group of little towns, and they had heard the gospel, the good news from Paul about Jesus. But what they had to do first was they had to recognize that they were bankrupt, that they were spiritually bankrupt that they could not pay off their deep debts to an holy God. They were desperately spiritually in debt. So they humbled themselves and they finally said, I can't. And they filed for bankruptcy. I can't do it. I can't pay it off. The way bankruptcy works for us and our country is, Then uh, you file chapter 11, and then it says, I can't do it. And then the creditors have to kind of go away, and they take pennies on the dollar, whatever you have left. They take everything you have left, and they split it up among the creditors. In this case, the Galatians, and you and me, if you believed in Jesus, we've stated that we're bankrupt. We're humble ourselves and say that we can't, and Jesus Christ comes in with payment. (laughs) And it's even better than just payment The gospel says that he paid it in full. You can imagine that stamp going down on the bill, paid in full. He didn't pay pennies on the dollar. He paid our debt completely so that we were accepted by a holy God. And it gets better. It's better than that. Not only is our debt fully paid, but there's no possibility of ever being in debt again. He paid it and it overflowed. It covered our sins in the past. It covers our sins in the future. It covered our sin from being born into sin. And we have this stamp on our bill. Not only does it say paid in full, but it says paid forever. So how are people that have had their debt paid in full supposed to walk around? Paul said, so Christ has truly Set us free, he's celebrating me. You're truly free. So, how are you supposed to walk around? Well, this is what we're talking about when we talk about U times two and multiplying. There's this expectation that believers, as they walk around the Midlands, that we would walk with our hands open, <laughs> like we've been given so much. We would, could never go in debt again, so this love that Christ poured in us is overflowing. It's pouring out of our hands, and it's making little circles up under us. There should be this radius around you because you've been set free, and freedom is contagious. You must share freedom. It makes no sense to have been given that free gift after declaring bankruptcy and him paying it all off to then close up our hands and hold it to ourselves and not share it. The passage says, now make sure that you stay free. I think if I was going to sum up the whole chapter with just a phrase, I'd say stay free. Freedom is always under assault. You have to fight for it. You have to fight for it over and over and over. John Patak, our campus pastor over at Radius White, no, Uh actually one time a month he goes on drill. He's full-time with the United States Army and uh, he's full-time uh, with the reserves. And so once a month he goes on drill and, and he prepares himself to fight for our freedom, our national freedom. and We we love him for it, and we're thankful for the rest of you that that are prepared to fight for our freedom. A lot of us, if the fight ever came to us on on our shores, we're ready to fight for our freedom as a nation. But not only is John Patak prepared to fight for our freedom as a nation, he's also leading that church because Christ has given him this gift of spiritual freedom, and so he works two full-time jobs to be able to actually walk people towards spiritual freedom in the white no community all of us campus pastors that's what we're in this for to be able to see that freedom multiply but it's not about being in ministry hey if you've believed in Jesus you've been set free and you're going to have to fight for this freedom the rest of your life he gave the freedom to us right freely we don't have to earn it But there will be an assault on it. And the verses explain. Verse 2 to 4. Listen, I, Paul, tell you this. You ever talk into your phone, talk to Siri? Colon, right? Like there's this statement. Listen, I, Paul, tell you this. So he's going to bring it with some heat. Colon. If you're counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit you. you. I'll say it again. If you're trying to find favor with God, By being circumcised, you obey every regulation of the law of Moses. For if you're trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from God's grace. Paul brings it right in front of him. He's talking about this thing called circumcision. If you were a Jew and you grew up in Judaism on the eighth day, if you were a male child, they would circumcise you. It was a way, as they cut away flesh, uh, that they would make this statement that you are connected to a covenant between God and Abraham. And so it was, it was a very special thing in Jewish society and certainly in Judaism. And it was this covenant that they were recognizing. Paul in other books is going to say that that's the old covenant and this is the new covenant. And so he said, man, getting circumcised will not make you right with God. It's really interesting to read the passage, that that whole verse. He says that you get circumcised to get right with God, that, that you think that you're going to find favor with God, that you're going to make yourselves right. All of us have some of that in us. We're innately legalistic. We use the word legalistic, maybe you've never heard it. It means that we feel like we have to perform to earn God's blessing. It's deep inside of us, and it's certainly captured in the South. If you're from the South, you know what I'm talking about. We kind of have this superstitious Christian culture, right? If you're out on the golf course and you hit your driver like my, I do, I, I pay once a year. My slice stays the same year over year, and you slice it into the woods, and it hits the big oak tree, and it bounces out in fair play with a good lie, and, and you walk up to what' What's your buddy say beside you? He goes, you must be living right. Right? That's like the superstitious Christian kind of society that we all grew, grew up in. It, it, it's confusing as it can be. Uh, when little Johnny has a baseball game, and like some of y'all are at church today because little Johnny's playing on the weekend, and you don't want him to strike out. And you're like, the Lord, if I don't go to church, then <laughs> little Johnny might might strike out. Some of y'all want a date next weekend, and you're thinking, man, I need to be at church or... I might not get a date, or or some of y'all are worried about the vote in two days, and you're like, I want my candidate to win, so I'm going to be in church, so the Lord will bless me. And some of that is just really jacked up. I baptized a lady Uh, one time. It was was a joyous day. We baptized a a group of folks and baptized her, and we had this big meal to celebrate afterwards, and she came up to me after the baptism, very stressed-looking, and and evidently, when I baptized her, I didn't say, "In the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit." And she was very worried that because I hadn't said that, that the baptism wouldn't count. You see what see what's happened? Like we we had talked about it, we had walked through the gospel, and yet there's this innate legalist inside of all of us that you have to do things just right to earn. The blessings of God, our culture, the Christian, quote, culture, superstitious culture is like I got to get baptized just right so that my life will get right. It's jacked up in all variety of ways. And yet every one of us in here, we're all caught in it in one way or another. Uh, When Radius was really small in just our first few years of existence, there's maybe 75 people there. But reminds me a little bit of Radius Irma, Irmo. By the way, I had lunch with Patrick Olson over there. You guys are loved, man. Patrick loves y'all. Matter of fact, some folks from Centerville and Lexington, you ought to think about going over there and joining. He, he is growing into that leadership role and loving the folks that are there, and it needs to multiply. But y'all are in a great spot. He loves you guys. We were a lot like you, and there was this, there was this one guy. He's actually running sound one Sunday when Radius is just kind of forming up, and He looked at me and he says, I love being here. And he said, because people want to be here. It was an interesting statement. It really encouraged me that day because he's saying, I want to come to church and worship. I want to be here with these people and worship together. It was this great statement. I hope it's always true about Radius that people are coming because they want to. But I know us, right? And I know me. Some Sundays I want to and some Sundays I don't want to. So what do we do about that? I wrote this down in my notes, and I hope not to confuse you, but some of us are disciplined. We're here at church on a regular basis, and some Sundays we come because we want to, and some Sundays, listen to me, some Sundays because we come because we want to want to. We're frustrated with the fact that we don't want to worship, and we discipline ourselves to come anyway because we hope that over the course of the hour and 15 minutes that we hang out, that the Holy Spirit will break in on us and break through our lack of want to. And that's happened many times for me. It's happened many times for us. So it's, it's okay to be disciplined, but at the core, the why matters. Like I want to be at church on Sunday to worship. And then some Sundays I discipline myself. I want to want to there to worship because I want, I believe that the Holy Spirit could move me past my lack of want to, but what I hope's not happening at Radius, and I want you to examine your hearts right now, is that you're here because you have to be here. You have to be here because little Johnny's got a j- game on the weekend. You have to be here because you're afraid you'll lose the blessing of God. I I, that's the wrong motivation. That's, I just said it's jacked up. It's broken in some way. I, hey, if, if that's where you are, talk to your campus pastor after this. It's all right. <laughs> We're in the South. That's how a lot of the South operates. They come to church. They do all these things or don't do all these things because they have to. They really don't know who God is and how he operates. That line struck me as I read this passage for the first time. Again, uh, you have fallen away from God's grace. What a crazy statement. I, I don't believe that he's saying that you've lost your salvation. It just doesn't fit the context. I don't believe that he's saying you were never saved. It just, it really, it doesn't fit the context. I believe what he's saying is that you were saved from bondage and set free, and now you're moving back toward bondage, even though you're free. Uh, I read a a pretty cool article this week that talks about the bondage of the pagans in that region of Galatia. They they would get up in the morning, they'd pray to Uh, their small g god of choice. If they were going fishing, and a lot of them did that for a living, they'd pray to the fishing god. If they were a young lady and she wanted to get married, she'd pray to the beauty god, right? If they were uh, a military man and they were about to go on a mission, they would pray to the military god. And so it was all this interaction between these small g gods, which... Uh, When things worked, all all was great. When it didn't, it created this great disappointment, even anger and frustration. And in truth, bondage. So the pagans were in bondage. And then Paul came in and preached the good news. What's the good news? I read this, this acrostic of the word grace. Acrostic meaning each letter has a meaning. God's riches at Christ's expense. Paul comes in and says, hey, you're bankrupt You you can't pay your way to be in relationship with the living God. So you're in bondage and Christ will set you free at his expense. You can have God's riches, God's riches at Christ's expense. I thought that was decent. And so they've been saved from this bondage of paganism. And now they're being sold this new bondage of the law. Or, or the ultimate part of the law, circumcision, which would reme- mean that the men of them would remove a part of their flesh to get signed in to this new bondage. I like Tim Keller. My wife listens to Tim Keller almost every day, so I usually get to hear one of his messages through her. But I, I listen to him on this passage, and uh, he's a little bit more intellectual than me. He actually reads columns written by the left and the right um, as As our government kind of functions with a left and a right politically right i I read Fox for two minutes every uh, morning and uh c n n for two minutes I just like it 's like it 's entertaining to watch their two different perspectives right like and i and I do it in two minutes because it also irritates the heck out of me if I stay there too long Fox. Well, we'll just leave the two of them alone. I can tell you what I don't like about them both. But, but like side by side, they're really interesting. I do two minutes in each of those. I get about five minutes in on ESPN, right, because it's a little bit more entertaining to me. But I, I, I listen to these two different views over and over. And, and Tim Keller, as he, as he listens to them at a much higher intellectual level, compares them to the folks in this passage. The pagans that the Galatians used to be, this is how they used to operate had their whole life centered around individual freedom. And so uh, it created this bondage because when they prayed to the fish God and it didn't work out, it was all about their fishing that day. When it didn't work out, it created this frustration and this anger. In, In our country, if I read CNN for a little while, we are in chaos trying to be happy as individuals. Celebrating our individual freedom, we've got stuff. If you go read down CNN's page, you're like, you're going to see this deep, passionate arguments for a mother's happiness over a child's life. So we take the child's life so that the mother will be happy. Now, if I could say this without being too harsh, we've lost our minds, right? We actually want to, we've become consumed with children's feelings. So we'll actually, because of the wealth of our nation, we'll actually allow a child to make a decision to change his or her gender and walk them through the process toward changing gender because of his or her feelings as a young, as a young girl or boy. You <laughs> couldn't even imagine that not too many years ago. And here, here we are because of this philosophy of individual freedom. Men or women's preference for sexuality is, is all on the table. And we could talk about this at length. It's not, it's not really the time. But that's all linked to this left side of thinking, right? Like it's all linked to individual freedom that life is about me and my feelings. And so parents, like we got we to be on top of this. I don't know if you've noticed, you go to Walmart and you see an unhappy child. Oftentimes, the mom or the dad just cannot leave their child because they're constantly worried about their child's feelings. And so what happens? The child abuses the parents and the child is extremely unhappy and dissatisfied. And what that produces is a bondage. It's this confusion about how the world works, how authority works. It's all this confusion for the children. And as, as the left preaches its gospel of which there's hope, this individual freedom. It's full of guilt, fear, and anger. And Paul's like, y'all remember who you used to be? That's who you used to be. You used to be in bondage to guilt, free, and anger. It says, and then you believed in grace, God's riches at Christ's expense, and, and he set you free. But now you're listening to another gospel, the gospel of the right? What's the right gospel? Modern conservatives, they argue for moral restraint and virtue. If you scan Fox every day, which I'm sure many of you do, you scan Fox, like it is troubling to read. It's it's particularly the tone at which it's written. You talk about angry, it's just straight anger and arrogance from top to bottom. They like religious folks, right? Not just Christian, religious folks, because religious folks tend to be more moral. And so there's this little bit of, a, a, of a inviting the Christian folks into the fold. Mark my words, there'll be a day when the right throws the Christians under the bus. It's happened over and over and over in history. It's going to happen again. But right now they need your vote. And so they coddle you, but then what's most concerning inside the church is it begins to pollute what we believe, that we were given God's riches at Christ's expense, and we begin to believe that we have to earn by morality and virtue the blessings of God. And Paul says in this passage, you've fallen away from grace. You left this Come to this, and now they're taking you back to this. And grace, I mean, mean, and the right and the left are just alike. They both produce frustration and guilt and fear. Why would you go back to what he's saying? The left and the right is the same. If you grew up in church, you know, like me, that the ultimate sin was having sex before you got married. Sometimes so much so, the right, as they kind of build this system, so much so that, um, man, you would hide anything sexual. So the first time you looked at porn as, as a young man or woman, then it was deeply hidden away. It has this, this shame that's connected to it. So you don't want anybody else to know because you're afraid that it's connected to God's blessing. And you keep hiding and you keep hiding and it keeps growing because of this system. Eventually, whether you went this route or another, you have sex with somebody before marriage. And in in some ways, like it it, it creates this snowball because once you cross that line for this side, that was the ultimate line, you might as well cross all the lines. You might as well go all in because once you broke that part of the law, it seems like I've lost all of God's love and and now I need to just, just go for it and let's just see what happens oftentimes still keeping it all hidden. It's a a mess, right? When when we're looking for this system to bring hope, we're just completely deceived. Man, I've got two friends at really large churches in North and South Carolina. And uh, when the whole mask thing hit the fan, they made leadership decisions like we had to at Radius on how to lead with the uh, lack of understanding of what COVID was. And so they required folks, they opened back up fairly quickly, but they required folks to space and wear masks inside of buildings. And and 10 to 15% of the folks left over that decision and over their willingness to talk about what the Bible says about race. Those two things, 10 to 15% rolled from the right. What does that say to you? says to me that this is where that 10-15% to 15% was placing their hope. <laughs> what I would love to ask them is when, if you're leaving over this, then surely you're sharing the gospel overtly in your neighborhood because that's what you really believe there's hope in. But instead, like, there's this hope that this nation is, oh, shoot, man, I want our nation to last forever, right? And I'm willing to fight for it. I voted early. Already, like, I, I, I'm in. But but this over here does not have the hope that Paul's talking about in this passage. And we cannot fall away from grace. If I were to ever walk up on this stage and to preach the Republican platform or the Democratic pat- platform, I hope that you would leave this church. I, I, If you love me, I hope you catch me afterwards and chastise me for preaching that as if there's hope long term in that. The hope of Jesus Christ is based on his grace. That's where true freedom is. He gave us God's riches at his own expense and he expected it to change us. Oftentimes what we do is we go left or right, depending on the, 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 the time of life. Sometimes when you finally have sex and you're on the right, then you swing left because you can't afford to have a God because of what you just did, because of this system. So you swing way over here and you deny that there is a God. As opposed to pushing into his grace. And so what we end up doing is we end up making nice people instead of clean people. C.S. Lewis says we, we move people from nice, uh, Christians are nice, but they're not new. There's no freedom. They're bound up by the law and guilt, and it drives them crazy. <laughs> the right, the kid in Walmart behaves perfectly because he can't afford not to. As a matter of fact, there's this little bit of fear that the parents are abusing the child by this crazy, strict discipline. And for some of us, like when you hear that, no, that's not wrong. Well, it's wrong if it starts in the wrong place because really, right, (laughs) my mentor in college, he said, man, when you're a dad, you need to hug a lot and spank a lot. (laughs) High-level parental coaching, right? Actually plays out pretty good. But watching him and his family, all of the hugging and the spanking started with love. He loved his kids. And so the love flowed through those two actions which held them in a really healthy place and blessed them going forward. And that's what this passage is about. i got a couple more minutes. Let me read you, read you this, the rest of this. But we who live in the spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith righteousness God has promised to us. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit of being circumcised or being uncircumcised. What is important Is faith expressing itself in love? I hope that my children feel love. We disciplined them a bunch. We hugged them a bunch. But what matters is that we moved based on love. Verse 7. You were running the race so well. Who held you back from following the truth? It certainly isn't God. You were all about grace. You left this and you're all about grace. What made you start going back to it? It certainly wasn't God, for he is the one who called you to freedom. And then he closes out. Our little passage with a, a very straightforward verse is directed particularly at the folks that are deceiving the folks and dragging them back from this place of living and freedom with God to a place of bondage. And he says this, verse twelve: I just wish that those troublemakers who want to mutilate you by circumcision would mutilate themselves. One translation says, "I wish they would emasculate themselves." Another says. I wish they would castrate themselves. Strong words, fighting words from Paul. He's furious about this, that they are being misled and taken away from this place of walking around their town with their hands open. Now they're walking with them closed again. Their freedom has been robbed. And so he says, why don't you just cut it all off? There was a goddess... It was the great mother of all small g gods. She was the goddess of fertility and agriculture. And it's probably where we get the word mother nature. She was the goddess of of nature. Uh, She was worshiped by the pagans. And oftentimes when the priests would get together, they would get so lathered up and worshiped to her that that as as legend says, they would cut themselves. And eventually it gets so lathered up that as the men priests, they would cut themselves off so what Paul's going, the the Galatians, you've seen this. You've seen the priests do this to please the God, God is, small g, God. Don't listen to these folks over here telling you to take some flesh to please God. God is pleased because of the sacrifice of his son. Let me tell you something, but it ought to make you want to smile and sing right now. As you get ready to come up and take bread and juice, it ought to make you want to, want to grab it and thank Jesus for it because you have been set free from this bondage or this bondage, whichever one is, and you have the right to walk into the Father and call him Daddy and celebrate your relationship with him because of the work of Christ on the cross. Last story. One day this week, I can't remember, maybe Tuesday, I came home. It's been a long day with people, extroverts, introverts in the room. You know what I mean. I came home. I was all talked out. Cheryl met me at the door. She hadn't talked as much, so she had lots of words to give me, and she gave them all to me. Toward the end, she had had a really good time with the Lord that day. She started telling me about her time with the Lord. Of all things, a husband who loves Jesus ought to listen to that, right? So I listened. Uh, Introverts, you know what I'm talking about. When you you're all peopled out, like you kind of open up your eyes and you just focus in best you can. You try to hang in there. And eventually over the course of time, I was just ready to end the conversation. I said something really stupid. I don't even remember exactly what it was. It wasn't like vicious. It was just, it wasn't good. And she expressed that it wasn't good. I actually stole some of the joy of her conversation with God that day. It stunk. I watched her get her feelings hurt. She had some errands to run, so she ran some errands. I had about an hour alone. And I had to sort this thing out. I failed my wife, who I love. Now, what am I going to do? Well, there's one tendency inside of me that wants to go go do what I wanted to do all along. Be alone, be quiet, and serve myself. This side. On this side, and this other thing starts turning up in me. I I need to figure out a way to do penance. Do I run to Publix and get the $4 flowers? Do I do something in the house, get all the dishes clean? So when she walks in, she goes, he's not as much of a jerk as he was a minute ago. One side, both sides arguing with me. One is serve yourself. It's really all about you. Other is, hey, you, you need to be full of virtue and make this right. Do penance. Instead, I walked a little bit and prayed. And as I'm walking, the Holy Spirit stirred my love up for my wife it was there in the conversation but it got stirred more I was walking and I came home I had this little project she wanted done I did this project it just did it out of a different place I want that for us I want us to follow and serve God out of a different place out of a place of freedom let's pray together thank you Jesus for freedom thank you for giving your life on the cross to set us free from bondage. We love you for it. We worship you for it. We take this bread and juice to remember the act that you followed through on the cross to set us free. Thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, move on us right now in these rooms. Remind us of the work that you could do through us because of what Christ did on the cross. We want to be vessels that overflow with you, Holy Spirit. We want to bless people in our radius. We want our wives and our husbands and our children and our parents and our neighbors and our coworkers. We want them to experience what we have. Oh, it's Holy Spirit, we confess that we've grieved you and tried to perform sometimes in order to get your blessing. We know that you love us and you love others. We uh, pronounce that right now. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.